scholarship in visual literature. Dream Lego games. The difference between Batman and Superman. The best tales of the Cape Crusader. DC and Marvel in film. And championing whimsy and wonder against a bleak background of hyper-realism. I'm the well-read mage, and this is MageCast. When characters have endured so long, they either adapt or fade into obscurity. When it comes to literary IP giants like Batman, adaptation is the game, and the name of the game is LEGO Batman 3 Beyond Gotham. Joining me to discuss everything Dark Knight plus Lanterns and Justice League for flavor is Steve Sellers, a.k.a. Shadewing, a superhero, science fiction, and fantasy writer with Omen Comics and Revelation Comics. As someone who has loved the comics industry since he was a child, and also works producing the kind of content he wants to see in the world, Steve has several excellent insights into the state of these characters, the state of the media, and the state of the business. Like LEGO Batman 3 itself, our discussion soars well beyond just Batman and Boy Wonder, touching the intrinsic, the personal, and the contextual. MageCast is the podcast for conversationalists in a world where we've already stopped listening to each other. To learn more, visit thepixels.com, that's the-pixels.com, and patreon.com forward slash thepixels. You can join our Discord to be a part of the conversation. There's a link in the description waiting for you. Or find me on Twitter at TheWellReadMage. You can also find me live streaming, usually thrice a week, at twitch.tv forward slash TheWellReadMage. How do you do, MageCast fans and listeners? This is Moses, a.k.a. The Well Red Mage, coming to you to talk tonight with someone who uh, is very close to the comics industry in his own way, very close to a lot of the subject matter that we're about to discuss. Uh, As you already know, because you heard the introduction, we'll be talking about uh, Lego Batman, which is which is awesome. I mean, this this subject reminded me that this show can be about anything. Uh, There was a time where people were like, you only do JRPGs. No. I don't only do JRPGs. Got Lego Batman here for crying out loud. But before we get to Batman, sitting here tonight with uh, Steve Sellers, aka Shadewing. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing pretty well. It's a nice evening uh, at this point in time, and I can't wait to talk about this game. Uh, likewise, I, I will say I am a big JRPG person. Um, probably almost as much as you. I know we've talked a number about a number of JRPGs. Uh, I, my uh, distaste for Final Fantasy VII Remake is probably on a par with yours. <laughs> so that, that's so that's so. Um, we, but we're not going to get into that. We came to talk about Lego Batman Three. Um, I yes. love superheroes. Always have my whole life. Um, it definitely uh, goes back uh, to my love of the X Men. But um, I also really do like the Bat Family a lot, uh, particularly Nightwing. So when we talk about uh, Batman, that's kind of where I'm at. I just love the Bat Family. Awesome. And so you're you're a fan, but you're also a producer in mm-hmm. the comics industry itself. Uh, so sure. our listeners kind of get more of a sense of who you are. Would you kindly describe yourself and maybe describe your work? Uh, yeah. How many healers do you got? <laughs> um, <laughs> well. Well, uh, yeah, mainly um, I'm a writer for uh, Omen Comics um, and for Revelation Comics. Uh, it's just a couple of very small indie publishers. We've only been around for a couple of years, really, uh, in the scheme of things. But it, it's just one of those things where um, nowadays it's a kind of period where um, if the main um, companies aren't doing it for you, you can just make your own comics. And uh, now it's very, very possible to do that. Um, I got very, very fortunate. Um, because um, I was uh, basically uh, doing reviews of comics um, for uh, Mike Nunnally, who's currently my publisher and partner in crime 
as it were. And um, he basically told me, hey, yeah, I'm going to do this uh, comic book company, and I have this idea for this character called Omen, and um, I want you to do this book called White Druid and Michael Nero. Would you like to do it? And um, it took me a little while to sort of get into that, but um, I basically looked at it and said, yeah, because um, ultimately what kind of drew me into this particular character is that it's essentially a mystic uh, Sherlock Holmes um, with a power that is interesting. Um, he has the ability uh, to basically see ghosts and demons and other worlds, and it messes him up because he can't control it. So I looked at that and I said, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. And so um, two, a couple of my books um, take place in that universe. Um, White Druid and Michael Nero, which um, is, you know, think magic Sherlock Holmes, uh, partner with a Celtic god, and you kind of have an idea of what that is. Um, okay. The other book I do is uh, just came out uh, recently um, called Guardians of a Lamb, and uh, E-L-A-Y-I-M. And um, basically it's a time travel uh, fantasy uh, series um, centered around uh, a centurion, a Roman centurion who ends up killing a god and uh, the various people that um, were around him. And so um, they're basically, because of this, um, time and space gets completely ruptured. And so what they do is they go through time and space um, in the style of uh, exiles or quantum leap and then, you know, putting right what once went wrong and, you know, moving forward. But it's mainly like a, a trip into literary history, um, mythic history, and all those sorts of things. Um, so that's awesome. what I do for that universe. That's um, excellent. So, and you're the writer for these. Then. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. as a comics writer, uh, you mentioned to me earlier that you also do short stories. You're working on novels. Uh, what would you say is is like the nucleus of the difference, or is there a difference between writing? sort of, you know, prose as standalone from the visual element and then writing for comics. Is there a difference to be measured? Um, yes, definitely. Um, and that's really a good question. Um, I usually find that um, writing prose is more the writer's pure vision because a lot of it is you have to provide the descriptions, you have to provide the set pieces, you have to describe the action. Um, you basically decide, okay, am I going to look into their thoughts? Am I going to look at the story? Uh, from a God's eye point of view, um, you have the, all that power if you're writing for prose. But if you're writing for comics, um, you have to uh, be in a collaborative process mostly, unless you're Frank Miller or impossibly talented like uh, Walter Simonson or Miller or, or Jim Starlin or something like that. And that can do oh, both. I see. But otherwise, sense. otherwise, it's collaborative. And uh, some of it is going to be you and some of it's going to be the artist. And um, a lot of times it's about writing the script so that the artist um, can put your vision um, as much as possible. And sometimes that's wonderful. Um, they will see things that you don't and make it better. Um, and then other times it may not be what you had in your head and it doesn't work the way that you want it to. So you, there's always that give and take uh, when, when you're dealing with a collaborator. But I've been very, very fortunate. Interesting. Interesting. And I was going to ask, have you ever had... You know, what do you do if you have conflicts between, uh, say, the writer and the artist? Um, well, a lot of times, though, that's what we have editors for. Um, and fortunately, <laughs> yeah, fortunately, there are people that catch that kind of stuff in the process. And, you know, there is conversations back and forth at times. And, and yeah, so the, the kinds of things that you would expect. Uh, but uh, everything's generally pretty positive uh, in my experience. Nice. 
I'm an ed- I'm an editor, so I speak that language. I know what you're mm-hmm. talking about when you yeah. say like the intermediary will force. save you or break you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've heard it multiple times from the writers that I work with. Thank God there's an editor. I don't know if they're talking about me, um, <laughs> but uh, having a second set of eyes on the project yeah. uh, in some capacity is, I think, great. Uh, you also used a term earlier in our in our preliminary discussion uh, that I thought was very fanciful. You, d- you considered yourself a fan scholar. Maybe you want to unpack that? Yeah, um, I can't take credit for that term. Um, I'm a follower of uh, this account on Twitter called The Claremont Run, um, and it's a a scholarly uh, organization um, by uh, somebody that I know decently well. I've been on his podcast uh, named Andrew DeMon. And um, basically, he recently put out an entire thread on Twitter um, basically describing fan scholarship, um, which is kind of this space uh, really that is between like professional scholarship done by academics and um, just kind of like fan discussion. Um, I kind of operate the middle space, um, which is why I call myself a fan scholar, um, because it's I have been trained um, to do um, academic scholarship. Um, I'm more than capable of that. I, I do have um, an, an advanced degree in English, so I can, I can do those things, so I speak that language. But I'm not arrogant enough to write this sort of stuff for the ivory tower. So I'm usually writing, I'm usually writing uh, basically for people who are fans. And so to me, I think it's important to have um, analytical discussion of superheroes or really of comics in general um, that occupies a, an academic rigor uh, to the extent that it has the level of thought you need, but it it is not written for people who are scholars. It's written for people who are fans and that, um, and, you know, and without all the, you know, yeah, this, I've used this source at this point and, you know, having all this, I don't deal with that very much. Um, and, and that's kind of the kind of stuff that I do. And I do those kinds of articles uh, occasionally uh, for Comic Crusaders, um, mainly a series um, called A Retrospective of Chris Claremont's X-Men, which is partly like me going through um, Claremont's entire run of X-Men and just boiling it down partly from a fan standpoint and partly from a scholarship standpoint and being able to uh, make academic uh, interpretations of things like the Dark Phoenix saga. That is fascinating right there. Mm -hmm. I sense that we we're kindred spirits in many ways. Uh, I really like that term. That's, that's brilliant stuff. Yeah. I I really love it so much. I had to take it. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't trademarked. So there's that. There's no, well, no, I don't think he came up with it either. So, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think that fan scholarship uh, is going to play a little bit of a part uh, into the, the subject that we're going to get into tonight. But I guess just in brief, uh, you know, what what's your exposure? What's been your exposure to superheroes? Say the big two publishers uh, over you know the course of your life and. Uh, how have they influenced you? I don't want to overload this question, uh, mm-hmm. but just in in general, you know, as we settle down into this Batman discussion. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I will say um, I don't remember my earliest time uh, getting into comics. I was got into comics when I was really young. I want to say seven or eight. Um, I want to say my first exposure to comics was reading my cousin's uh, Captain Marvel books on a trip to England, um, but I could be wrong about that. 
It was somewhere around that time, though. Um, and that's one of the reasons, like, I'm a huge fan of what you would call him Shazam today, but I, I prefer to use the original Captain Marvel name um, because I prefer <laughs> yes. the original version of the character. Um, if you ask, like, classic Captain Marvel fans, do not call him Shazam, they will tear into you. Just warning you all now. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I haven't read too much Captain Marvel or Shazam. Um, I just like calling him Captain Marvel to stick it to Marvel. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's a perfectly fair reason. Um, but I think um, to get to the rest of your question, um, I can tell you for sure that my first comic that I remember owning uh, was an issue of All-Star Squadron, which was a, a book about the JSA um, by Roy Thomas and Jerry Ordway. Um, this was, if you guys have, have watched Stargirl, um, a lot of those characters that you're seeing in there came out of that run or came out of that period. Uh, because they also had the Infinity Incorporated book, which were their children, the children of the JSA. So all of that stuff that you're seeing in there comes down to that. So that's where I got into it originally. That led me to Legion of Superheroes um, back to during the Levitz and Giffen era, and it was amazing. Um, and then eventually I got into Marvel with Secret Wars, and that led me to discovering the X-Men. And really the X-Men have been like my lifelong love. So if you want to know why I am, I'm writing this ridiculously long series about a 17-year comic book run, um, it's just because that book was so formative to me. That and New Mutants, which were the junior team of the X-Men um, originally, or at least around the 80s. Um, just those two books, really, I couldn't get enough of them. And it made me a lifelong fan of comics. But um, I, I really got into DC more later with Batman the Animated Series and Batman 89 and things like that. Awesome. I think that, uh, you know, I, so I'm not as well versed to get this out of the way. I'm not as well versed in comic books as you are. I sure. did read comic books when I was younger. It took a long kind of escape from reading comics to phrase it in a certain sense and then got back into comics later in life. Read a lot of Marvel when I was younger and then flipped mm -hmm. to DC when I was older. Mm -hmm. For me, it's just difficult to keep up with everything. I, I yeah. can't. I can't read both i can't even read all the characters from one publisher i just there's so yeah. much content uh yeah, there's no way there's no way no um i just i think you, you just stick with what you like if you like a book read it um otherwise just forget about it don't try to be a completionist it, it, it's it, that way lies madness <laughs> oh yeah if you can afford it and not go crazy do it do what you love but uh i can't I can't. I have favorite characters and I just have to stick with that. People recommend comics to me. You know, they're like, it's a great series. It's long. And as soon as they say it's long, I'm like, nope, can't do it. Sorry. Uh, but I think like yourself, uh, you know, if we we're talking about comic book history, especially Batman history, uh, a lot of people jump on, jumped on board Batman with Batman 89 and the Batman animated series. Batman animated series and Batman 89 were huge uh, for me, I was only four when Batman 89 came out, but mm -hmm. that 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 movie hung around the cultural zeitgeist for so long yep. that, you know, I have like pictures of myself and my brother swapping between Batman and Superman costumes when we were kids for mm -hmm. Halloween. And then Batman, uh, the animated series hit, and that made me a lifelong fan of the character. Yep. Uh, it was just such an amazing uh, run that I think encapsulated Batman so well. It basically was a great introductory uh, series to Batman if you've never seen him before. And yet it was so faithful to the core of what the comics were without aping exactly what they did. They did some of their own interpretations, but mm -hmm. they, they honored the source material, I think, in a way that very few series have. 
Yeah, there's a there's an element, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but I have a theory that when things prolong, uh, when brands and IPs prolong long enough, they eventually become self-parody uh, in many ways. And I think that, you know, you, you might be able to say Batman 66, Batman 60s might have been the self-parody era. But <laughs> we mentioned this in our chats uh, elsewhere that uh, Batman as a character is evidently highly flexible, uh, a character that can be interpreted in so many different ways. Uh, and so asking people, as I have been over the past couple of weeks in preparation for this podcast, you know, who is your Batman or who, what is your favorite version of Batman? Uh, and it's really varied. I mean, there's obviously, like I said, 89 and Batman, the animated series are humongous. There's people who love the Batman from the 60s. There are people who love the newer Batman with Ben Affleck. There's people who love, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy and so on. Um, are you asking what my favorite is? <laughs> I am asking what your favorite in a <laughs> okay. very roundabout way. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it seemed What's like you were favorite? like doing like a general discussion of it. No, no. Um, I would say for me, definitely Kevin Conroy from Batman, the animated series. I feel like he's the thing is, is that and I have talked to um, my nephew about this is um, the idea is that to me, there are two aspects. There's the man and the bat, okay? Uh -huh. And not everybody can do both. Uh, Conroy yes. is the only person that I can think of who does both equally well. Usually, um, in terms of the live-action actors, somebody either favors the Batman side of things or the Bruce Wayne side of things. Um, I think that, for example, Keaton is very much a, a, a Batman type of guy, Whereas I never really saw Bruce Wayne when he was out of costume. Um, Christian Bale, um, I think, has the best balance for the most part in live action. But I think he leans more Bruce Wayne than Batman. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so that's really where a lot of it is. And, uh, and, I'll, and I'll be fair, I think Adam West um, uh, was really, really great as well. Um, he did a very different kind of Batman. But right. I can't really complain at all about the Batman he was doing. The guy was great. He's, and, and he's wonderful in this game, too. Yeah, I mean, in the context of Batman '60s, uh, it just made it made sense for that 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 version of that universe. Uh, but I love I love what you said here. I totally agree. Uh, I think that this is this has been an established truth that typically actors are good as either the Bruce Wayne persona or the Batman persona, and rarely both. Uh, I I agree with you. I think Bale did a good job. Uh, his, his Batman is, gets a little silly with a voice every once in a while. Uh, that's which is why I like, right, exactly. <laughs> which is why I think that, uh, Batman begins is my favorite of that trilogy. His mm -hmm. Batman is a little less Rory in that one. Uh, right, but of everything, everybody that you mentioned, I have to agree. I mean, Kevin Conroy nails, the, and given that he has to do his performance through his voice, I don't think that's a limitation, but it has to be said he gives his performance through his voice. And I agree that I think he his Bruce Wayne feels like this Bruce Wayne that's really using the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the drive of his trauma to go forth and also using this veil of the, the billionaire playboy real well. Uh, mm -hmm. And also has a warmth to his character that I yeah. think that Keaton, you know, you mentioned Keaton. I think Keaton's Bruce Wayne comes across as too manic or, or too mm -hmm. 
too psychologically disturbed to like right. with ticks almost as you kind of watch his performance uh, to where you can't see him really kind of, you know, schmoozing and dining and that sort of thing. He's uh, a little bit more Ke- Michael Keaton and a little bit less of Bruce Wayne to me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, an amazing performance. I, I mean, I think oh, yeah. all of these performances are great, but I think when we're comparing the greatnesses of them all, uh, Kevin Conroy, for sure. And it obviously it's been said, you know, you hear Conroy's voice when you read the character's dialogue in the comics. I sure do. That's who I hear. Yeah, uh, likewise. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, we'll have more questions along those lines. Tonight is Magecast episode 63. Everything is Gotham. Uh, <laughs> love that. Uh, that was from the Kais. Thank you very much for, for titling this episode for us. We are talking about Lego Batman 3 Beyond Gotham which was developed by Traveler's Tales and published by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. It launched in 2014 uh, across several platforms. Now, as an opening question, uh, you know, we're talking about Lego Batman. So of all these Batmans, did you see Lego Batman the movie, by the way? Oh, I did. I really did enjoy it. It's kind of like another one where they're kind of like exaggerating all of these things that we uh, see on Batman movies. They're trying to make him, you know, (laughs) oh, yeah, I have no emotions and I am always the bad and I am awesome and I'm arrogant and all all of these sorts of things. Yeah, that's not who he, you know, typically is in the comics, but it's funny and it works for this movie. So, yeah, yeah, I don't have I I just love the Lego people in general. They have um, a very good comic sense. Um, they're never afraid to make fun of themselves, and they never take anything too seriously, including anything that they're working on. I think that they're great. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I totally agree. Uh, that movie's pure candy. Uh, <laughs> when I saw when we saw the first Lego movie in theaters, my wife and I must have laughed harder than all of the six year olds in that theater. Uh, and then when we saw Lego Batman, just a delight. You know, they're referencing things like the Prince concert. <laughs> just yep. just a delight so this though it should be said this game does not directly tie into uh lego batman the movie but i think that there's elements of that portrayal of batman mm-hmm. that version like a stereotype of batman that's in this game you know they're talking about emotions and we'll mention that as we get to story but anyway an introductory question uh, what's a franchise that you'd want to see get a lego game um now technically we've already seen this but there was never an official game made of it uh and that is doctor who um i am a huge huge doctor who fan and i think that there are so much in uh 60 some years of doctor who that would make a great lego game and if you've seen lego dimensions or at least in video playthroughs um there are just some really really great stuff that they did for that um, the Doctor regenerating into all the different incarnations, all the ticks being there, uh, the Tardises being different every single uh, regeneration that you put them in. Um, all of those are really, really great. Um, and I really wanted for the longest time to see them finally make a proper full Doctor Who game, and they haven't done it yet. Get on it, Traveler's Tales. Get oh, on it. man. Yeah, and Lego, Lego Doctor Who. I mean, there are people who would go bananas for that. I've never seen it, but I have a lot of friends who are like, oh man, Doctor Who have my babies. Uh, so I know a game like that would would do real well. And, and I will say, um, uh, I think somebody mentioned uh, Final Fantasy as an option. I would totally play that game too. Oh yeah. No, some of our favorite answers uh, that I jotted down, a lot of people had some really fun uh, answers here. I said Lego Last of Us just to be silly. 
Uh, <laughs> that would be I actually would like to see them. I would like to see them parody <laughs> last Lego Last of Us 2 and just because the thing is is that even in games or at least uh, movies that they're making fun of that are bad, the way that they handle it is funny enough and entertaining enough that you want to play it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh CEO of Dokan said Lego Minecraft, which I think that's a <laughs> That that's is like the most meta answer. Lego thing I've ever heard. I, yeah, I, I approve. That's wonderful. <laughs> Terrence Harkin said Lego Mega Man. Wiley rebuilds and modifies his Wiley machines on the fly mid fight. Uh, cool idea. I would get behind that. Huge Mega Man fan. Yeah, uh, I haven't played very much of it. I played like Mega Man X uh, and a few other things that I'm just, I'm not, I'm not enough in it to really say one way or another, but I hope you get your wish. Oh, yeah. No, I would. I, I would day one that thing so hard. Uh, Magimetal said, I would also totally play a 100-player Lego Battle Royale. OMG, that would actually, I think, do real well. Battle Royale, real popular right now. Uh, mm -hmm. That'd be good. JTorto40 said, Lego Halo, it's time. I think that would do real well, too. It's hard to see how these wouldn't. Uh, Savage Membrane, 100% The Legend of Zelda with a legend or with a Zelda beg your pardon dungeon maker inclusion hmm. or spin-off um that sells itself right yeah there. i really i would love to see uh, lego and, and zelda i think the two very fit tonally very well uh which yeah. is what makes it so interesting yeah uh definitely uh and then the kai's said the lego games are fun and they involve characters i enjoy but whenever I've played them, I long for the actual character designs instead of the Lego-fied ones. Do you think, and here's a great question, do you think it adds to or subtracts from these games to have everything in them look like a Lego? No, not really. I mean, especially if you understand that a lot of this is comedic and is kind of meant to be uh, taken not seriously. Uh, mm -hmm. No, I think, it's, I think it works fine for what it is. Um, yeah, I think I agree. Uh, it's a strong flavor. I mean, I would say this is probably not like everybody's cup of comedy tea, right? Um, but it's slapstick. It's silly. It's it's infantile. It's it's fun. But I think that a beautiful thing about these Lego games that capture an IP or a franchise or a series or characters is the the way that they do honor to those things and you kind of mentioned mm -hmm. this earlier too but the references the you know the characters that make an appearance uh mm -hmm. what are other some other lego games that you've played like i've played lego indiana jones lego star wars um i've played um i've actually 100%ed lego indiana jones um that oh, nice. one i adore <laughs> that one i adore um the uh, star wars game obviously i've played a lot of them i've played Mar marvel superheroes i've played the entire lego batman trilogy um pirates of the caribbean um, the Incredibles a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, it's probably easier to list what I haven't played. Nice. Yeah. And there's quite a few of them too. I mean, like just looking at them briefly, I mean, you mentioned, uh, Avengers, there's Lego DC villains, which I've never played, uh, uh Lego Jurassic world. Um, yeah. there's, there's quite a few Lego, Harry Potter, Lego, the Hobbit. Uh, yeah, that's good. Oh, and I haven't played that one. Coincidentally, mm -hmm. I mean, rarely my wife plays games, but she's actually played through Lego Lord of the Rings, and I've never touched that one. Yeah, I got a little bit through it. I haven't played the whole thing, though. Nice. Nice. So getting into this, uh, by the way, there will be spoilers ahead. I don't know if anybody's concerned about spoilers for Lego Batman 3. 
But just in case you are, you're that person, um, you can play this game. I, I don't think it's too hard to find. It's not too rare, not too expensive. Uh, but some Steam. mage. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, there you yeah, go. Yeah, I played it on Steam. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I dragged my PS3 out. I mean, I had it plugged in anyway, but you know, just pull the game off the shelf, pop it in, and it's a lot of fun. So some mage facts here before we get down into uh, the bulk of the podcast. Lego Batman 3 sticks with the Lego video game formula. That is briefly players collect characters set in the IP's universe, as well as Lego studs for currency, while exploring action-adventure platforming levels, solving puzzles, and fighting enemies in story mode or free play mode. And to my knowledge, well, at least the ones that I've played, that's that's like the normal Lego video game formula. Uh, yeah, basically. Beyond, yeah, yeah, essentially. Uh Beyond that, though, I mean, you kind of get an injection of flavor. And so for this one, Adam West, Kevin Smith, Jeff Johns, Jim Lee, and Conan O'Brien have celebrity cameos throughout this game, joining over 200 characters uh, from the DC universe. Uh, by the way, Troy Baker uh, voices Batman here. I believe Troy Baker also voiced Batman in Arkham Origins. Uh, Among other things. Oh, did he voice Batman among other things? Oh, I in mean, other, like, in other, in other projects. Yeah, I can't remember exactly which one. I want to say okay. Young Justice, things like that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I was delighted. The Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor is my favorite voice for Lex Luthor. Yeah. For sure. He's he's just great. And now, I mean, there are really aren't uh, too many uh, versions of Lex that are bad, aside from the Snyder version. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, the other, <laughs> but but um, but there really are not very many bad takes on Luthor. But Clancy Brown, um, you, generally you kind of think of him as the Hurgan, you know, or these you know big heavies. No, he is this smooth, suave, you know, really snake-like character when he's Lex, and it's wonderful. Uh, I love him right. ever since Superman the animated series, which I'm a big fan of. Oh, same, same, same. Uh, Clancy Brown's Luthor is uh, one that I think he really does two voices for. He's got that suave kind of mm -hmm. facade, and then he can really drop it and let rage come out, which mm -hmm. I think is is perfect for that character. Another one that I really love seeing on the voice cast here is Gilbert Gottfried as Mixing Spitlick. <laughs> yes! I, I was watching <laughs> Mixing Pixelated not too long ago. That is my favorite <laughs> episode of Superman the Animated Series. It's so good. Uh, what an underutilized character. Mm -hmm. uh, seriously he's a hard character to use well which is why i think they haven't used him that much but man when gilbert godfrey goes he is amazing not mr Ken tip season big tips big like oh nuts <laughs> love it and that's the one where his wife uh resembles uh jessica rabbit <laughs> yeah keep, that was that was wonderful that it's like why would you torment superman when you have this woman waiting for you uh coming back <laughs> I mean, why would you do bored that? Fifth dimension omnipotence. Uh, but yeah. Oh man. That Gilbert Gottfried. I, I did a Gilbert Gottfried impression once on a podcast and once is, is enough. But going back to the celebrities, uh, Adam West in this, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And he's, and he's not just playing himself. Uh, he does play the Adam West in peril of uh, uh, spoilers on the various levels. You have to rescue Adam West from various traps and, you know, uh, ne'er-do-wells and things like this. But he is also uh, 60s Batman. You get to play as him in a level. Mm -hmm. And he also plays the Grey Ghost. Uh, I forgot the Grey Ghost was in this. 
That yes. is legit. That yes, is he's a, in there. That's a great reference. Uh, Kevin Smith is in this. You know what? Uh, did you listen to Kevin Smith's Batman podcast, Fat Man on Batman? I, I did not. Uh, what did he say? Okay. No, so it was just I. He said a lot because he's Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. but yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're a huge Kevin Smith fan. I think I was at some point, and then I would kind of burned out on Kevin Smith. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> um, I did like his Daredevil run, though. He did some good stuff on Green Arrow. Yeah, his um, Batman stuff was... It exists. Yep. You know, there's that. Uh, but yep. Kevin Smith, he did a podcast. I don't know if he's still doing it. Probably not. Called Fat Man on Batman, where he talked with just various uh, Batman creators. He talked with Burt Ward. He talked mm-hmm. with Denny O'Neill, um, some really cool people and really cool discussions. Um, but anyway, it's a, it was a cool podcast. If you're a fan of uh, of Batman and you can stomach Kevin Smith, there's that. Uh, Jeff Johns and Jim Lee, I don't particularly remember being in this. I, I think there were probably you had to like look for them and try to find them. I never found them either. Um, but I will tell you, the fact that those two are in this game tells you when this was made. This was made like at the early stages of the New 52 reboot. Um, And you can tell that. You can tell that because New 52 Shazam is in it. You can tell that because um, of Man of Steel um, and all these other things. They they very much are referencing. Oh, yeah. And the Wonder Woman Superman relationship, which came out of the New 52 as well. Yeah. Silver bracelets uh, and silver tiara Wonder Woman. Yeah, Um, Yeah. So New 52, now that you brought it up. Uh, is actually when I got back into reading comics. New 52 evidently being that movement where they were like, we need to get people reading comics again. Let's do this thing. Uh, And it worked, at least for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I liked a few runs from the New 52. I thought the Aquaman was good. The Wonder Woman was good. Uh, I enjoyed, I think it was Grant Morrison's action comics. Weird, because he's Grant Morrison, but Mm -hmm. I'm I'm there for that. Uh, Yep. What uh, you know? What are your thoughts, just briefly, on U fifty two? I think it was a mixed bag. Um, now I will tell you, it did work to really bring new people in. I I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, there were also uh, books that were experimental uh, that they didn't do as much before. That I wish they were still doing. I wish that they were still doing Western comics. I wish they were still doing Justice League Dark. I wish they were mm. still doing Demon Knights and things like of that nature instead of like a million Batman books. Okay, I wish they were doing all those things. I wish we still had Graham Morrison on Superman, aside from like that recent Authority series was with good. But um, I I am totally, but on the same time, they alienated a lot of people who were reading it already. And because because what they were doing in many cases was, okay, um, it's just going to be these characters in name only, and we're going to get rid of all the relationships. We're going to get rid of all of the legacies that. Uh, used to define the characters. They destroyed the Flash legacies, for example. Um, they completely ruined, um, in my opinion, Captain Marvel. Um, things like this. Um, mm. So I can, but at the same time, I can't completely hate it because there were a lot of really good books. I enjoyed the Graham Morrison Superman stuff. I, I thought that Green Lantern um, was at least consistent. Um, some of the Bat books were at least consistent. Um, and then you had, uh, and actually Supergirl was improved, um, or at least at uh. first. So, I didn't read yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they actually, yeah. So, be, yeah. Before then, she was like a teenager, and she was dressed the, you know, in midriffs, and you know, they didn't have like a consistent thing that they were doing with her. Um, when they rebooted her under Michael Green and um, I forget what the other guy's name was, uh, Johnson, uh, Michael Johnson, I believe. 
uh, it basically um, they kind of started over with her story and kind of showed how she um, acclimated to being on Earth after um, being born in Krypton and, and growing up on Krypton. Uh, that was actually reasonably well done. Um, and then they started hitting crossovers and that was an end of that. But, but, but up to yeah. that point, it was great. You know what? And that's where they lost me too, is the crossovers. Yeah. Uh, I, I understand that it's an industry thing, but I, 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 I was lost uh, when, when we started hearing hitting crossover material and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to read the, you know, the big collections and the uh, the gra- the standalone graphic novels because I can't keep up again with all these mm-hmm. different characters. I just don't know who's who, and it's, it's confusing enough. I read Final Crisis, so I was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I read Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I'm like, who are these people? And, yeah, and it's, well, it's those are acquired tastes. Those are acquired right. tastes. Oh, for sure, it's fascinating. Again, I like Morrison, but there's mm-hmm. so much referential material there that is just too much. Another I wanted to mention from New Fifty Two. Uh, was I enjoyed the Swamp Thing Animal Man uh, yes. run that they did. I thought the, those are fairly horror, popular runs. Yeah, yeah the the Animal Man body horror I thought was real good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so those are worth mentioning at least. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So that makes sense why you know Johns and Lee were here. Uh, Conan O'Brien, though I don't I don't understand why in the world Conan O'Brien is in this game um, other than celebrity <laughs> placement. I mean, other than whatever deals that they were doing, I don't know. I have no idea. He adds absolutely nothing, okay. in my opinion. So I was going to ask you, I was like, was Conan O'Brien, like, did he voice a character at the time? He was, was he... voicing He was voicing himself. He, he as Conan O'Brien, was in some of these levels. Um, and he was, like, oh, in the yeah. watch hour. You see him, things like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, was he – so he didn't do any DC content aside from this. Not, that I, like, not that I recall. Nothing. Not okay. that I recall. So it must have just been celebrity clout then, I guess. Yeah, maybe he just wanted to be in the game because he really liked Batman. I don't know. Maybe. So as we mentioned, Lego Batman 3 combines multiple inspirations without fitting into, I think, any particular canon. Uh, Lego Batman 3 includes references to 1960s Batman, Tim Burton's Batman, the Nolanverse, Super Friends, the DCAU, even Looney Tunes. Uh, downloadable content references things like Man of Steel you mentioned, Batman Beyond, lots of uh, fans of that in my generation. Uh, CW's Arrow, not so many fans of that in my generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the Suicide Squad. It started off so well, and then it just kind of went on a nosedive after a while. Yeah, uh, is that sort of like your general, I mean, I know you mean that about Arrow, but is that sort of what you would say in general about the CW Universe? Yes, yes, there okay. was promise in it. I thought Flash was great in the first season too. So yeah, but yeah, now I don't was. even care enough to watch the rest of it. Yeah, and that—that's a shame. I mean, there's only so much crying you can watch. <laughs> like, it, it started hitting a formula. It's like okay, Barry Allen fails to catch this guy because he doesn't know how to use his super speed, and then okay, I'm going to go to running my three dads, and they start telling me what I should do, and they so and then. They tell me, run, Barry, run. And then I can somehow defeat the villain conveniently at the end. And it's the same thing over and over. Yeah. That's a lot of my gripe with TV writing is the rehashing. Um, I really enjoyed the first season of Flash. I didn't catch much of Arrow. Watched the first season of Supergirl. And then they started making a show for every character on the planet. And I was (laughs) like, again, I can't watch... Yeah. thousands of hours of tv i just can't i can't, I, I can't either <laughs> and i review tv 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're like, I mean, nobody can at a certain point unless all you're doing is watching TV. So it's almost time for the most wonderful time of the year. And that means ensuring your loved ones know you love them by buying them things. This is literally the best time for me to mention joypadlad.com. Joypadlad is the good guy of the retro gaming aftermarket. Eschewing the gouging, the scalping, and the self-gratifying grading of games that affect many other outlets online. And hey, he's got a Black Friday slash Cyber Week thing coming up as well. You'll want to keep an eye on joypadlad.com for upcoming deals, sales, and discounts, especially for that gamer in your life. And don't forget, if you head there right now, you can tell them the well-read mage sent you by using the coupon code RED10, that's R-E-D-1-0, at joypadlad.com, and the code is good until the end of 2021. Anyway, Lego Batman 3. Uh, briefly, the story. Um, so, going back to replay it, I completely forgot that the lanterns are in it, and it, it kind of yeah. starts off with the lanterns as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Do you want me to kind of give you a little bit of a primer on them? Because I know you mentioned. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. so, I mean, I, I love I love uh, the Green Lantern that I've read. Um, I haven't read a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to give like a primer on like who the lanterns are, because this is a Batman podcast. Maybe people are people like, oh, I love Batman. What the heck? They're talking about lanterns. So yeah. <laughs> maybe give a primer on the lanterns. And then do you remember the story in general to Lego Batman 3? Yeah, more or less. Um, it involves like a couple of things. On the one hand, you have Brainiac uh, performing, you know, his scheme, uh, and he's confronting the lanterns, and he mind controls like a lot of the main lantern uh, core leaders. I'll, I'll get into that when I go talk about the lanterns. Um, oh, do and then, it. Go ahead. Yeah, and then you have on the other hand, uh, Luthor and uh, the Injustice Gang pulling some scheme of their own, which is what Batman is investigating how they get involved in it. Um, as far as the lanterns. Um, I have to kind of talk a a little bit about the basics of Green Lantern and then how Jeff Johns came in and completely changed everything. Um, Because uh, the idea essentially is is that the uh, the Green Lantern ring um, basically runs on willpower. That's the way that it works. And basically Jeff Johns came in at some point. um, Hal Jordan was dead uh, for a while. Um, He was made into a villain and then... Um, basically turned out he wasn't, he was possessed by a fear bug from outer space. And so you, because comics works like that. Comics, I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah. Because comics works like that. But the core idea behind a lot of it, um, involves something called the emotional spectrum, which is, it's not like there are just rings that are devoted to willpower. What if all these other emotions correspond to the other colors of the rainbow? So you get, uh, the red lanterns, which are the lanterns of rage. You have the uh, Yellow Lanterns, which is uh, Sinestro's group, which is that they're the ones who instill fear. Because the idea with Green Lantern is they have to overcome great fear. So their arch enemies are the Sinestro Corps, um, who basically instill great fear. And, and there was a really great story called the Sinestro Corps War, which encapsulates all that. Get it, um, if you ever read that. Um, and then you have uh, Orange, which is Greed, um, represented by Larflees, who is this golem-like space uh, werewolf thing. Um, you have the Blue Lanterns of Hope, um, and they're on the planet from, um, yeah, I forget, Odin, I believe their, name, their planet is. Um, you have uh, the Indigo Tribe, which uh, are devoted to compassion. And then you have the Star Sapphires, which um, actually the Star Sapphires go back to the Silver Age, but basically they were established that their power is over love, 
um, because um, the main uh, star sapphire was Hal Jordan's love interest, Carol Ferris, and uh, she would be possessed by the star sapphire. So it's basically established that the star sapphires are um, basically love controlling her, the, 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 the energy of love controlling her rather than her controlling the power. So um, basically on the opposite extremes, they, the, the, uh, from the center you go, the more powerful uh, a hold that the power has over you and, and, and vice versa. So, so yeah, it's really interesting stuff. No, it is. I, I read a little bit of John's run on Green Lantern. I think that's a compelling idea to kind of add to, you know, the, the space cop idea, that mm -hmm. guy that shoots lasers and uh, giant boxing gloves from his magic ring. Right. Uh, it kind of deepens it a little more. And they've done Black Lanterns and White Lanterns as well, right? That was Blackest Night. Yes. Blackest Night, yeah, that was essentially like imagine Plan Nine from Outer Space, but it was good. That that's Blackest <laughs> Night. It, it, it basically that's exactly it. I and mean, you have aliens coming from outer space that are trying to take over the universe by resurrecting the dead. It's the exact same plot, just done well. I and the, never put that together. Wow. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Brightest Day and yeah, Brightest Day is basically where they're the lanterns of life because like all of the. Uh, colors in the universe form white. And so, yeah, so they represent life as a whole. I see. I, so I've, I've read Blackest Night, enjoyed it. Again, a lot of references, but I, I made my way through it. Uh, Brightest Day I did not read, but again, I think the, the color spectrum or emotional spectrum idea here with the lanterns is really cool. And so that mm -hmm. plays into the story of Lego Batman 3. How? Um, yeah, basically, um, as part of the soul story, they have to try to free all of the main lanterns from, uh, Brainiac's mind control because Brainiac can control of all of the other lead lanterns. So that includes Sinestro, that includes, uh, Atrocitus of the Red Lanterns, that includes Larflees of the Orange, um, that includes, um, Saint Walker, who is the Lantern of Hope, um, and then there's, um, I think, Indigo One, who is the uh, Compassion uh, Lantern. And then there's uh, Star Sapphire. So um, all of them get mind-controlled, and you have to go to each of their planets um, to basically free them. Right, right. So there's a lot of planet hopping here. Yeah. Now, as a, as a personal question, mm -hmm. uh, Steve, uh, sure. if, if you were to get any of these rings, which which one do you think would call to you? Probably blue. Probably, Probably blue. Probably blue. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm. I'm largely like an optimist in spite of myself. So I would say that. Um, I yeah. I I don't know. I don't feel like rage calls to me. I don't feel like greed calls to me, and I don't feel like I, I'm very uh, scary. So I don't think that any of those would work. Um, but at the same <laughs> time, I I would kind of rule out the others. I think I mainly hope maybe a little bit of green. Nice. I, I really like Saint Walker as a character. Um, I think years ago I might've said blue for myself. Um, I, you know, I took a, one of those internet, uh, personality quizzes and got like chaotic evil and I was like, Oh no. So <laughs> maybe I would, be I can, like, I can understand the chaotic part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta play to your strengths. Uh, but maybe I would be red or orange at this point in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, Yemi the Ferret said, oh, man, this was the first Lego game I 100% platinumed. I had a great time with it, although I still wonder why they didn't just call it Lego Justice League. Because uh, that's essentially what it is. I, yes, I had the exact same reaction. 
Uh, you are not alone. I am sure everybody who played this is wondering why this is not a Justice League game. It plays like one. You get to play yeah. as all the members of the Justice League, uh, a number of them past and present. Um, you're going up against the Legion of Doom. You know, you're going up, up against, you know, Mondo threats like Brainiac and the Lanterns. Um, I don't see why in the world. Uh, they're, they're, they're only the first level is even remotely Batman-ish at all. So uh, right, it's a weird right, branding right. decision. It should have been Lego Justice League. I wonder if, you know, there was some kind of contract, contractual obligation because they've done Batman games previous leading up to this. Uh, I wonder if it's a, a, like a branding obligation because the mm -hmm. name Batman, you know, has to be in the title because it's Batman. It sells so well. Um, so I don't know. I wonder if there's some boring businessy answer there. But yeah. essentially, it's Lego Justice League. Yeah, and I would say, yeah, probably it is a rights issue. I imagine maybe they were contractually obligated to say, yeah, but you have you can use these characters, but it has to be in a game called Lego Batman. And yeah, it's probably something like that. Yeah, that's always the realistic, boring answer. Uh, but you know what's not boring? Uh, so many Easter eggs and references yeah. in, in this game. Do you have some favorites? I will say uh, Mixie um, being in there is really, really awesome. I'd love, I love seeing that. <laughs> um, yeah, there are just so many different characters. It's not even really – and I will say I love being able to play as the Marvels. Even if it's not the, my, the Marvels that I prefer, it's really uh -huh. nice to be able to play as that. Um, being able to play as Shazam or, or as Captain Marvel and being able to say the word Shazam and turn yourself into Billy Batson, that really, really is great. That's just really wonderful. Um, I love uh, one, the fact that Wonder Woman's theme, the 70s theme, plays every time you fly while playing her. That is yes. awesome. That, I that just, is really cool. I love, 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 love touches like that. Um, yeah, yeah the, it's just things, you know, things like that. Uh, Suicide Squad, that level was, was not too bad. Um, yeah, I, I, and just the, the lanterns in general. Um, I'm a big fan of the lanterns. So, you know, being able to go to all these planets and, you know, do these open world explorations you know, and trying to, to unlock all of these things, um, even after just playing the, through the story mode. Uh, that's really, really great. Um, going on the moon and finding, like, the lunar lander going over there, you get to destroy that and get some bricks, things like that. Yes, uh, so cool. I With so many characters, I think it was, I said earlier, over 200 characters or something like that. Uh, they, they really do a lot of homages to different versions of characters. I mean, right down to there's a nurse costume Joker from the Dark Knight yeah. in here. Uh, really funny stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. I love seeing Polka Dot Man, some of the more obscure things. Was Gentleman Ghost in here? Because I mained as Gentleman Ghost. I don't, I don't recall. Uh, maybe I just never unlocked them. There are a lot of characters. Oh, you can there are, yeah. And I just ran through them like a couple days ago, but there's no way you can remember all that. Oh yeah. Um, dark side is in this. You can play as dark side. Yes. Which is amazing. I love dark side. Yeah. Uh, love seeing uh Batman of Zuren R. Yes. Um, super cool. Yes. My favorite Easter egg though, is uh, when you play as Superman, you can, uh, you can fly off and he, you know, he pops back in as Clark Kent Mm -hmm. uh, and he's got his nerve. It's very much the Christopher Reeve uh, Superman. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's fiddling with his hands and his glasses. And then he dashes into a telephone booth and pops yes. out of Superman. That, that's so wonderful. Great. And then when he flies, it plays what I think is the greatest superhero theme song ever written. John mm -hmm. Williams, Superman Suite. Yes. Uh, 
just they did the same thing in the second movie in the second game too oh i don't remember that that's awesome i mean that that song to me and i just re-watched superman the movie um with my kids they they love watching that one with me i think that's such a pure film so enjoyable and that theme i mean john williams is already one of the most prolific um film composers there is uh He's done so much, but I think with, with the Superman theme, he captured just that, that triumph and the goodness mm-hmm. of superheroes in there. It's uh, so when that's, when that occurs in the game, I forgot about it. And, you know, I fly as Superman last time I'm trying all these characters out and my heart just stopped and I was like, yeah. <gasps> love it. Love it. Yes. I, I, I love it as well. And I will point out this little factoid, uh, Bruce, Tim, um, I always said that a good Superman theme uh, has the word Superman in it. And John Williams' yes. theme has Superman in it. And so, yeah, I have to agree. He's right about that. And I, and it's just a, it's just such a uplifting theme. Um, it's, a, yeah. it's a theme that kind of pulls at the heartstrings and it gets you pumping. Yeah. And, it may, yeah. and it just makes you want to save people. It's just wonderful. It's so fitting of the character. And I think, too, you know, it's not all the triumph of da, 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 da. It also has like quieter moments that Mm -hmm. I think reflect the quieter aspects of the character. Yes. Because like Batman, obviously Superman has these dual kind of personalities, this, you know, which side is the real side? Is he really Superman? Well, three, is he really Superman? Is he really Cal L? Mm -hmm. Is he really Clark Kent? And so I think that the Superman theme in many ways captures that. But here's a Mm -hmm. question for you, Steve. Sure. Uh, which do you think is, well, I mean, not to kind of phrase you in a question. Okay. Which do you think is the better superhero theme? Uh, Danny Elfman's Batman score or the Superman theme? I mean, the Batman theme or the Superman theme? Um, I, I'm a little biased here because I prefer Superman, but I will lean to the Superman theme. I think that it's a lot more enduring. I think John Williams is um, just on another level. As much as I love Danny Elfman and as much as I love that theme, um, I just feel like either a number of really great Batman themes. Um, the Dark Knight by uh, Hans Zimmer, I think, is up there yeah. pretty close as well. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that there's like a definitive Batman theme. There are a number of really great ones. Um, but I, mm-hmm. don't, I think most people, if you were to ask what the Superman theme is that's definitive, they would say John Williams. For sure. Yeah, I, have, I would have to agree. Uh, man, uh, it's, it's hard to pick between two, those two. They're like my babies, but, um, I would, I think I would also say the Superman theme. It's a Batman podcast. Sorry. Uh, but to move on to, uh, to gameplay here, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming out of the, the references to all the awesome things like the Legion of doom. I, uh, before we get into gameplay, I do have to mention this. Uh, I did grow up watching, uh, the super friends, Mm-hmm. Um, loved the heck of that, of that show. Still watch it with my kids. Mm-hmm. Super cheese ball. Um, yeah. super, you know, silver agey and stuff like that, where they're just doing mm-hmm. ridiculous things. Sure. Uh, but it's fun. I mean, you know, I, I love those, those things. I, I also watched the, uh, the Max Flesher Superman mm. cartoons growing up, you know, he's punching lasers and ridiculous things like that. Yeah. But I think those are, those are fun in these basic interpretations. There's a tendency to, especially after Nolan's success, there's a tendency to over realize these things, overground these things and mm-hmm. over explain them. Whereas superheroes thrived 
for so long uh, without that necessity, without mm -hmm. having to show you the man behind the curtain. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that before we move on. Uh, no, I agree with you. And in fact, um, some of my same concerns about modern stuff um, is very much like yours. Um, the thing really is, is that I think people are like trying to sort of justify their childhood to themselves and they mm. just can't accept the fun and the whimsy of the concept. Because the thing ultimately is, is that superheroes really work best when they're simple. Um, they have a logical grounding and they work behind the scenes and you know what works in the story. But the thing of it is, is that um, you, the minute you start deconstructing everything too much and you start questioning everything too much, um, you basically are in a point where there's a diminishing returns to it. And I'm thinking that they're starting to, to start to hit that area now, um, like with the recent Batman movie with Pattinson. Um, I th it's like, I don't have a problem with the casting necessarily or any specific things that they're doing per se. I'm just kind of concerned that they're trying to out Nolan, Christopher Nolan with it. Yeah. And that's yeah. not a good trend to me. I don't think that that is, uh, I think that they need to put the brakes on that at least a little bit, pull back a little bit. Um, they did something similar with Daredevil when it got too dark, um, which is where you got Mark Waits run on that book. And it was lighter and more fun, but it was still psychologically complex. And I think mm -hmm. that is where you should be going with some of these characters. Um, you know, I think like like that in the animated series, I think had the right tone. Um, that's a yeah. tone I think they need to start getting a little bit more back to. Well, yeah. And I mean, you could certainly have a balance of those things. Batman mm -hmm. in the animated series is actually, I mean, there's dark, dark episodes yeah. in Batman in the animated series. There's also very lighthearted episodes. Mm -hmm. In Batman the Animated Series. And so there's there's a balance. With DC, yeah. not so much with Marvel, but with, with DC, I think there's been so much of a tendency to be like, oh, you know, the darker the better, and, you know, put the kids to bed, DC's on. Uh, <laughs> grim and gritty, I think, was a term that was yeah. being used even as far back as Batman 89. Yeah. Um, grim and dark. Grim dark. And you can lean in that too heavily to the point to where it's transparent. Uh, Snyder certainly did. Snyder seems like somebody who, I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Oh, yeah. He seems and he's like made somebody good movies. Who, oh, yeah. Oh, what's your opinion on his Watchmen movie? I actually like it for the most part. I mean, yeah, it, you know, it's one of those things where you're not going to get 100% get what uh, Morgan Gibbons did. But, hey, I mean, he did a better job than I thought anybody could do with that book. And it, it's yeah. generally a good well cast. It's generally, you know, looks like uh, what Alan Moore did. Um, that's yeah. a, I wish he showed that much respect to Superman. <laughs> yeah, well, it's almost like he was the wrong person to choose to do Superman coming right. off of Watchmen. You remember right. that interview where right. he's like, you know, I'm, I just came off of Watchmen. Superman's the enemy. Why did you pick this director to do Superman? And, he's, yeah. you know, he tried to deconstruct to the point to where you lose the character, I think. I loved Henry Cam Cavill as, as the cast. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, but I think that I wanted to see him be Superman. Yeah, you know, I want to see. And, I wanted to see him do like what Tyler Hecklin did on Superman and Lois. Um, you know how the early first few five minutes is, you know, him uh, smiling and wearing the Fleischer costume and coming up to this poor kid, saving this kid, and said, "Yeah, my mom made this costume for me." You know, I want to <laughs> see Henry Cavill do that 
Where, why right. do we not see that? Because why are we talking about Superman so much as a Batman podcast, but we got to get it out of our system. I'm well, sorry. It's, but it's, much <laughs> like, it's much like Lego Batman 3 says it's a Batman game, but it's really about the entire DC universe. Exactly. So I think exactly. we're entitled. We're good. Yeah, we're fine doing this. Uh, so, so with Superman, that's that's spot on. I did not see that show. I haven't seen it. Again, I was kind of burned out on the DC TV stuff. Um, but I saw that clip. And, he, you know, it says his, my mom made me this suit and he's all happy about it. And I was like, that is Superman. There's not any other character I can think of major character that's going to have that level of warmth. And then rewatching the Superman movie um, right after Superman saves Lois Lane from the falling helicopter. She's like, who are you? And he's like a friend. Mm-hmm. That is Superman. Yes. A friend. It doesn't matter what his name is. It matters that he's a friend and he has to come across in that sense. I don't recall. Maybe you will. I don't recall what uh, what writer um, penned this in. I want to say it was in Birthright, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been Wade, yeah. uh, if I remember right. Um, right. There, where they're talking about putting his his Superman persona together as he heads off to Metropolis. And uh I think it's Pa Kent who's like, well, what about a mask? And he's like, I can't wear a mask because people can't trust me if I don't, if I have a mask on, if I don't show my face. And so that element of like, he's a friend that you, that you can trust. That is, I think something that sets Superman apart. Cause let's be honest, they hand out laser eyes <laughs> and flights like candy these days. Like everybody has those abilities. Everybody has, you know, this Superman prototype abilities so mm-hmm. frequently. Mm-hmm. And yet what then makes this character set apart from all other characters? What makes him the center of the DC universe? His heart, obviously. His the heart. fact that he's a friend. Yeah. Man, we need to do a Superman podcast next time. <laughs> we should. We should. I think we would be talking about Superman all day. Yeah, no, definitely. There, there's so much disrespect, man. Uh, is Superman's my favorite character. I named my first child Cal. Uh, oh, wow. My second child, I was like, what? And Okay, now here's the deal. Uh, I was not like, honey, we're having a boy. We're going to name him Cal L because I'm <laughs> Nicolas Cage. No. Uh, we're, we're going to bed one night. Uh, you know, she's pregnant. We're going through our list of names. And she's like, what about Cal? I was like, like C-A-L, Calvin? I grew up reading Calvin and Hobbes, so I was like, that might not be prophetically a good idea uh calvin being kind of a brat uh mm-hmm. but she goes no with a k and i was like honey do you you know that superman's kryptonian name right and she's like yeah i kind of like it and i was like <laughs> sweet <laughs> so landed that and then we had a second boy and we we're like oh no you know what do we do now and we so we named him nolan uh christopher nolan reference um also a, re- a reference to a couple other things that we enjoyed but now we have our Batman and our Superman. And I was like, if I have a third child and it's please let it be a girl so I can have, you know, a Wonder Woman reference. Diana. Um, right. Exactly. I was like, well, neither of us like the name uh, Diana, which was a, a shame. So we thought of, of the name Galilei, um, mm. um, which c- would kind of reference uh, Galileo as well as Gal Gadot. Um, so I don't know. Uh, maybe yeah, it's not destined for us to have our Wonder Woman, but we'll see. Well, there's always Cassandra or Donna. <laughs> yeah, there's so many different. I mean, if I told, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Maybe we'll name our daughter Lasso of Truth or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you'll so, have your own Trinity, I hope, one day. 
Right, I hope so. Uh, let's not uh, like, let's hope it's not our whole Justice League, but Trinity at least would be would be fun. <laughs> yeah. If you're a fan of games and well reading, then without a doubt you've run into fan fiction. What you might not realize is that fan fiction has come a long way, and new resources and artists have thrown in their hat in the field of appreciative literature. Cue the fanfare for Bifrost Studios, an organization busily producing high-quality works of fan fiction inspired by an array of source material and a wealth of subjects. You can follow the links in the podcast description to find many of their works, including Metroid Evolution, which combines GPT-3 text for the core story with a human element of writers and illustrators to form a cobotic final work. There's also a Star Wars Academy fanfiction exploring life on the spectrum, available on Bifrost's Patreon. There's lots to explore and lots to learn, hybridizing the human and the mechanical. Don't miss it, and check out the links in the podcast description for Bifrost Studios. Getting into gameplay here, you know, so we mentioned that before, um, what kind of game this is. Um, I think there are highs and lows to all of the LEGO games. Um, They're not complex games. Um, really, and they're games that you can enjoy with children. Um, there's a co-op mode, which is a lot of fun. I don't, I just don't know how much, uh, I I like how much about the Lego games people who listen to this podcast, like generally know, but like you could play this with a second player. Mm -hmm. Um, Lego Batman three does this cool thing. I don't know. Remember if this was in two where, uh, it'll be, you'll be on the same screen with your other character. Uh, and then if you move a distance apart, it'll create a split screen, but it's a dynamic split screen mm-hmm. that'll like move and, and adjust uh, depending on how your characters move, um, which mm. is a lot of fun. So did, did you, when you played this, did you play with a partner? No, no, I, I, I'm usually single player on most of the games that I play. So yeah, I didn't play that. So I don't know for sure. I you might've been that way in Lego Batman too. I don't remember. Um, but okay. yeah, I, I do remember that being in three. So, but no, no, I never used that. And you did, you, I think you mentioned earlier, you did a hundred percent this game. No, did not. Did not. Um, I okay. did, I, I have 100% of other games like indie, but not that one. Uh, okay. Yeah. There's a lot to do in this game too, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so with co-op in the Lego games, uh, there's some frustration that can come anytime you're playing split screen. Uh, there are cooperative puzzles here that like mm-hmm. the computer AI will work with you to do. But when you're doing that with a human player, it's not always easy to see or figure out. And, and that's kind of like, I guess a visual criticism of the mm-hmm. Lego games is sometimes it's difficult to get your jumps down there's a mixture of like, you know, backgrounds that look like Legos and then backgrounds that don't look like Legos, mm-hmm. uh, interacting with things and, and landing different things, uh, can be a little difficult. Uh, and then there's some jank involved too, mm-hmm. for sure. These are not like, you know, prime platformers or anything like that, but right. I will say, uh, there's no lives system though. So like if you die, you lose studs, you lose your currency, uh, a little bit of it at least. So it's not a huge, you know. Yeah, it, it, it is a little annoying when you die, have to recollect all of your studs before they all disappear. Um, because yeah. that stuff that, especially if you want to try to get true hero uh, and get the stud for that, you know, that, that, that can be a little annoying. And when you have yeah. to jump around and not know where you're going, uh, trying to figure out what you're supposed to do. And you're in an area where um, if you like the slightest mistake, you die. That's not fun either. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there can be some some gaps that aren't easy to detect, or hazards that you know suddenly your character explodes and you're like, whoa, what happened? Mm-hmm. Um, oh so yeah, and there's also the um, gameplay and story segregation problem, which is that there are characters who should not be dying that are dying of things. Um, yeah, because I don't think that you. It's like okay, yeah, this character is vulnerable to um, biochemical hazards. It's like yes, including Captain Marvel, who's invulnerable. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yes, yeah. I, I was gonna say for the most part, there's. I mean, that is a great point. For the most part, there's. Uh, it's 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 impressive that they were able to take so many characters and just come up with you know, say a dozen, two dozen set uh, ability formulas, I guess you could say, uh, and then pinpoint which of the characters share those common traits. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, you know, there's a lot of characters that just have a gun, um, but then there'll be characters that, you know, have heat vision or there'll be characters that uh, have super speed or there'll be characters like Lex Luthor and one of Robin's uh, special suits that can interact with high tech things that other mm-hmm. characters can't. And so when you're playing through the game, a lot of the puzzles are set in that sense of you have to have the right character for the right job. If you're playing in story mode, it'll funnel you in that direction. Yep. If you're playing in free play, though, that can be a little more, you know, you have to get creative with what characters you're using. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and then of course you have like uh, the Batman character who's got a number of different suits. Uh, you have Robin who has a number of different suits. You have Cyborg, who even has a lot of different uh, setups in much the same way. Um, but the part of the problem is I used to love playing as Nightwing in the first two games um, because Nightwing would have like a similar setup to Robin. Uh, he doesn't in three. And that's a particularly annoying when it's like, okay, um, if I want to go and play, um, have like the ice suit or, or something like that, I can't do it. I have to switch to Batman. I'm like, no, yeah. <laughs> I am not a fan yeah. of that. <laughs> You're a big Nightwing fan in general, right? Yes. Yeah, he's he's my favorite yeah. DC character. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Uh, and it would make sense that that Nightwing would have the same costumes as Robin. I don't know why they didn't do that. Maybe just space. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of characters here. Maybe it just got rushed and they just didn't have time to implement it or something like that. Yeah. So I think that's the closest probably we'll get to like you know, analyzing and critiquing this game as far as its mechanics Mm -hmm. uh, to start kind of pulling back a little bit uh, and talk more generally about Batman. Now, I love that we talked about Superman, but talking more generally about Batman. Now, we mentioned favorite versions of Batman earlier. Uh, I I asked on Twitter previously without saying your age, what's your favorite Batmobile? For me, that was Batman 89, Batman animated series, that long limousine. Batmobile. What about yourself? Oh, well, I, the thing is, is that I prefer a Batmobile that actually looks like a car. <laughs> this is kind of like my problem with like a lot of the newer ones is that they make them look like tanks. Uh, the one thing right. I will appreciate <laughs> in, in the Battinson version is that they've gone back to making it look like a car. So I appreciate that. Um, but I think, yeah. I, yeah, in terms of my favorite, I would say either the um, Batman, the animated series one, um, the, uh, the, the, the 66 version, which is a classic, and the one from Batman the Telltale game, um, which is a Batmobile that transforms oh. into a Ferrari. Ah, which is a great cover if you got to escape, just turn into a Ferrari. Yeah. 
I mean, it does. And, and so, yeah, he goes around, drives off of Bruce Wayne in a Ferrari, and then the next minute, you know, he's Batman and he's driving around in the Batmobile. Ah, very interesting. I uh, I have not played the Telltale series. I'm meant mm-hmm. to. That one, you know, it still looks like a car, even when it's in Batmobile form. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of has like the ears on the front of it or wings, what have you. Um, so that's really that's really nice looking. What about the Arkham games? Did you ever play any of those? Um, I am a huge fan of the Arkham games. Uh, the first two games I'm really a fan of. Uh, I love Arkham City the best. Um, Arkham Origins I played somewhat of. Um, I really like the stuff with Deathstroke. That that stuff was pretty decent, but it wasn't. It didn't hit the notes as much for me. And then Arkham mm-hmm. Knight. I wish I could have finished that game. But um, as much as we've already talked about my favorite Batmobile, my least favorite Batmobile is the one in that damn game. Uh, <laughs> I, I hate, hate, hate the, the Bat Tank mechanics in that game. I constantly end up getting just killed. And after a while, I just rage quit. And I'm like, I'm not coming back to that. Um, yeah, but, yeah. 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 So um, I would say, um, yeah, I, I will I will say that um, Batman Arkham City is the best one, though. Um, I thought that the, vi- the the choices of villains were very good. I thought that the riddle mm-hmm. clues were much more interesting. Um, I like mm-hmm. that you were not confined into the asylum like in the first game. Um, it's I, open, yeah. Uh, Catwoman, I thought was really well done. Uh, you had there was just so much there, and like all the villains were represented. Mister Freeze was great. Uh, there's just there's just so much in that. And then Ra's al Ghul, um, my favorite yeah. Batman villain. Uh, I get to fight him. That makes me happy. So yeah, nice. that that hit all my that hit my fan buttons. Oh yeah, and the Joker dies, which always makes me happy. Yeah, wow. I mean, my goodness. Uh, Arkham Arkham City is quite a game. Uh, actually, my personal favorite is Arkham Asylum because I think it has that real claustrophobic uh, psychological aspect to it that yeah. you lose with City just by the open nature of it. That's all. But fair. City feels like a true sequel in that. It is broader. It's bigger. It has so many more characters. Uh, it's humongous. I'm glad you're a, a fan of the Arkham series. That, that's some mm-hmm. good stuff. I have oh, yeah. to agree, though. I Arkham Knight. I liked a lot of Arkham Knight, but I did not like the uh, Batmobile tank sequences. I wish we had just had more traditional boss fights because mm-hmm. those were so excellent in the series previously. That having to do with so much Batmobile stuff is just nah. Yeah, I think they just did it wrong. I mean, the problem is, is that I think when people said that they wanted a Batmobile uh, segment, they weren't looking for you know Bat Tank segments. I think that they were looking for something along the lines of like uh, Grand Theft Auto, where you can just drive around Gotham, you know, and stop crooks uh, with the Batmobile, get out of it, and do whatever, or you know, use like um, a lot of the trick stuff uh, that are in the Batmobile, like the smoke screens or like the, um, the the bat line type of stuff, you know, the, the kind of stuff that you expect to see from the movies and that sort of thing. Um, I think that the way that they implemented it was not good. And I think that that's probably why a lot of people really, um, among, among other things, the PC version from what I remember was unplayable. So there's that too. Um, but I think all that together is why it didn't work as well. Yeah, I, I got to agree. Well, you mentioned the Batman earlier uh, and some apprehension about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that, um, so Matt Reeves, if I remember is the one directing, um, Matt Reeves did an excellent job on the planet of the apes, uh, films Mm -hmm. that were more recent, uh, in my estimation. Sure. Um, I really enjoyed, uh, those really liked Andy circus performance Mm -hmm. as Caesar. 
I thought he, you know, I mean, just a stellar physical yeah. actor. Um, and some really interesting just takes on that classic sci-fi franchise. So they were also very dark movies, though. Yeah. Um, and so obviously, you know, when the first trailer for The Batman hit, um, it's 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 dark. Uh, and we know we're getting the Riddler. It's nice to see, you know, a version of the Penguin in there, a version of Catwoman in there. Um, it's nice, especially after the more jaded, older Ben Affleck Batman, to kind of have like, a younger Batman that seems more uh, <laughs> less than, I guess, Miller's Batman, maybe? No, uh, darker and angrier. Right. Well, I mean, like, less, like... <laughs> I'm just going to break everybody's legs and like, and mm -hmm. shoot them and stuff like that. I mean, we're getting yeah. a lot of violence here, but mm -hmm. Ben Affleck's Batman was very much like Snyder was just like, he's at the end of his rope. He's taking sleeping pills and alcohol every night and, <laughs> and just, you know, he's done. Uh, whereas this Batman, maybe we have a chance to see like a younger um, alternative now, but the, the real interesting thing to me about the Batman is uh, you know, they said they're doing a detective, uh, a film noir sure. um, kind of Batman film. And I think if we're looking at the history of Batman on film, I don't think we, they've really stressed the world's greatest detective er no. aspect of Batman so far. No, they really have not. Um, and that's one of the things that they really have been focusing on making action movies first. Um, mm -hmm. But you never really see like the Batman following clues and you know, doing all these other things where they uh, tries to investigate things, you know, follow leads, you know, use yeah. um, use the bat gear in order to, you know, find the, the where the next clue is leading. You know, all these kinds of things that you even do uh, in the Arkham games. Um, yeah. you, we haven't really seen them in the movies. That's kind of unfortunate. Um, this is one area where, again, I think the cartoon did it better. Um, yeah. where they, yeah, you, yeah. you see a lot of detective-oriented sort of episodes for that. But it just seems like there are more emphasis on you know, just having that formula there, um, having uh, the action movie emphasis there, that I think that um, it just kind of becomes like an exaggeration rather than the character more in its less uh, distilled form. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that Chris Nolan, um, you know, had moments where Batman's studying, you know, things that he picks up at a crime scene. Like I'm thinking, I think it was in Dark Knight when he's like studying the ballistics in mm -hmm. a brick that he removes, but he relies on, you know, Lucius Fox so much. Mm -hmm. uh, he relies on, you know, all these other things so much that you don't really get like what you saw in Batman, the animated series where he's down in the cave studying these things constantly. He's doing his own chemical tests. He's doing all these things where Batman, you get that whole, the encyclopedic Batman, the detective Batman, the chemist Batman, the engineer Batman. He can just do everything like to the mm -hmm. nth degree amazingly. So I don't think we'll see all of that in the Batman. But yeah. when they mention, you know, we're going to make a detective film, that to me is sounds really appealing. So that's something that I hope they nail. Yeah, um, um, I will say one thing. Um, I would like to see a version of a comic called The Batman's Grave. Uh, it came out recently. Um, by Warren Ellis and uh, Brian Hitch, I believe. And uh, it's a 12-issue maxi-series, but it, it does have the action-oriented elements of it, but it is also very detective-focused as you're trying to find out who the villain is, um, what the villain's motives are, and um, why he's doing it, and, and ultimately the Batman trying to predict where he's going next. 
um, you know, based on clues and, and things that he leaves behind. That kind of stuff, I think, could make a good Batman movie if played right. Um, I feel like it's yeah. a short enough story that you could do it with uh, to do that approach. Yeah, the overlap between murder mystery and like summer blockbuster isn't something that is really there. There's not a whole lot of overlap there. Mm-hmm. But I think there's definitely potential, especially with this character, to create more detective oriented, more murder mystery oriented films rather than, you know, Batman just flying in, shooting stuff, punching stuff. Right. Uh, all that being said, I love that you mentioned a story here. Uh, I was going to ask you, what are what are your favorite Batman stories? Let's just say in terms of the comics, because we've talked about so many you know, movies and film mm-hmm. and movies and film movies and TV and video game adaptations and animated adaptations uh, of this character so far. But comics, I mean, this is where he originated. So what are some of your favorite Batman stories from the comics? Well, let's see. Well, we'll start with Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I'll get into the Nightwing stuff later. Um, but I will. T- but to start with Bruce Wayne, I would say you got to start with Batman Year One, Long Halloween, things like that. Those are the answers everybody's going to tell you. And you know, yeah. and and I, I just don't think you can run away from them because they are pure undistilled uh, Batman. I think Year One gets the noirish aspect. I think it gets the origin down pretty well. It makes some mistakes with Catwoman, but uh, you can forget those. Um, Long Halloween, I would say, is the best uh, detective-oriented one, um, you know, because of the calendar killer and all of these sorts of things. Um, you could probably get a good movie out of that. Um, but in terms of other stuff, um, just my, like stuff that I enjoy personally, um, I would say The Demon Saga by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams from mm-hmm. the 70s. Um, again, Rache is my favorite villain, and I think that that was the best story that, that he's been in today. Um, Nightfall, um, because I love Bane. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can't, you can't argue with that. Um, yeah, just, just stuff like that. I recently read Batman, the cult that was by Jim Starlin. Uh, that was very good. Um, they, they totally break him like in a way that he has never been broken. I think before or since and, um, watching him come back from that, um, shows the triumph of will of, of Bruce Wayne and as Batman. I think that's just really, really great. Um, other stuff, uh, just bat family type of stuff. Um, I would say for Nightwing, um, Grant Morrison's Batman and Robin run, um, because I just love that they twist the whole formula with a lighter Batman and a darker Robin in Damian Wayne. And I love that dynamic. Um, Speaking of Robin, um, Tim Drake's origin in Lonely Place of Dying, because that shows why Batman needs a Robin. Um, Yeah, that that's really, really well done. uh, other Nightwing stories, uh, time, um, I would say Prodigal, uh, just because it's like the first time we see Dick Grayson earn the cowl and kind of get a little bit out of Batman's shadow because uh, by facing Two-Face, uh, who had traumatized him as a kid. Um, that That's just really, really great stuff as well. Um, Chuck Dixon did a lot of really good stuff on his Nightwing run. Uh, the Peter Tomasi run in Nightwing is very, very good as well. Um, and I would say the recent stuff by Tom Taylor in Nightwing is pretty solid as well. Uh, they 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 have messed him up in the last few years, and it seems like uh, between Dan Jurgens um, in the last few issues before he left, and now uh, Tom Taylor doing his run, um, it seems like Nightwing is back to being uh, the former Boy Blender we love know and love, and I love it. <laughs> awesome. There's so much good there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned there is so much good. I I, I like about the uh, the the demon stuff with uh with ross al ghul is yeah. it takes batman out of that uh that element of gotham uh, and it places him in 
I think unique context. Um, you know, having to deal with Talia, having to deal with an international terrorist rather than just, you know, these people that put on Halloween costumes and run around the streets mm -hmm. and taking him out of his element, like surprisingly works so well. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, they knew what they were doing, obviously, in, in creating that new kind of layer um, to this whole this whole character. And I mean, you're you're right. You started off mentioning a lot of the things that I would mention year one is obviously recommended. So, so frequently, I think long Halloween might be my favorite Batman story. Mm -hmm. um, it's one that I reread recently uh, with a, a friend who uh, was just reading it for the first time and uh, just really impressed, really just delighted. Every time I read that story, if I wait long enough, then I forget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then so it becomes a mystery all over again. And I enjoy that. Um, one that I've always enjoyed another super popular one, killing joke, um, is one that I really like, yeah. uh, hush is a great story that has so many characters in it, um, that I like a lot. And then, uh, Snyder and Capullo's Batman, uh, run is one that I really enjoy. I think court of owls, uh, it seems like it's difficult to create new characters because of the, Batman's mm -hmm. been around for so long. New right. characters that aren't just gimmicky, uh, that can stick and mm -hmm. feel like they've always been there. And they really managed to do that with, with Court of Owls. I didn't read the whole run yeah. uh, that Snyder and Capullo did, but they did a lot of good. And Capullo was somebody that I enjoyed uh, in my younger days. I read a lot of Spawn comics. Yes, yeah, same here. Um, and I yeah. will say, I will say you're right about the Court of Owls. I would say them and Professor Pig are probably the two most, um, the two best new villains in recent years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I have, I don't think I've read too much with professor pig in it. I know the character, mm -hmm. um, but court of owls definitely, you know, it made you feel like, okay, well, this is not Batman's hunting grounds. Mm -hmm. And you think like, Oh, he's the Lord of Gotham. Uh, definitely not. You know, once they start introducing things like that, um, but Capullo's art, Snyder's writing, um, just thought it was wonderful. Did you read Dark Knight's Metal? <laughs> um, I read some of it. Yeah, it's crazy. That that that, that it is seems insane like insane stuff. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, Snyder really towards the end got crazier and crazier. I love the idea of the dark multiverse. I think that that's so interesting. All these different versions of Batman gone wrong, <laughs> and how yeah. you know ultimately they're a threat to all reality. Uh, that I, I'm not a big fan of the Bat God type approach. Um, I more prefer a more human, uh, vulnerable Batman. Um, but uh -huh. if you're going to play Bat God, um, that was a good way to do it. And I will say it's one of the few times I've actually liked the Batman who laughs. Um, they, they overused him and haven't used him well since then. But when he started off, I thought the idea was interesting of Batman confronting himself and saying, what if I become everything I hate? What would that yeah. do to me? And, and how do I prevent myself from becoming that? I think that could have been a really interesting question. And unfortunately, I don't feel like anybody ever really addresses it. Yeah. Uh, yeah there's some, there's a traumatizing version of Joker in there. There's a lot of like, like cutting his face off. There's a mm -hmm. lot of traumatizing stuff there with, in metal with uh, um, the different versions of evil Batman that were created by him, you know, immolating his parents and mm -hmm. absorbing the, you know, the, uh, not flashpoint energy, the, uh, speed force, yeah. uh, stuff. There's a lot in there that, like you said, is just crazy. And that's mm -hmm. totally, 
I will say comes. that um, Speed Metal was a great story for Wally West as the Flash. Uh, Wally West has gotten uh, finally has gotten out of all the mess from Heroes in Crisis, and and that was like um, sort of like the starting point around there um, when he starts getting out of that. Um, and you know him wearing the blue suit and you know basically um, coming through and saving the day in that story that was just amazing. Who's your favorite Batman artist? Your favorite person who has drawn Batman? Oh my god, there's so many good ones. I really love Darwin Cook just for the simplicity of it. Um, I Mazzuchelli did some really good stuff. Um, Neil Adams, I like the '70s design very very well. Um, Norm Breyfogle did some really amazing things. Um, Capullo, you mentioned um, that guy's so atmospheric. Um, really, really good. Oh, yeah. David David Finch um, is another one that I would throw out in terms of recent Batman artists that have done really amazing stuff. Um, I, it's really hard to find like a lot of really bad Batman artists. Usually, um, Batman it really attracts like top tier talent and some of the best people uh, on the books. Yeah. Um, gosh, I you know I haven't read in so long now that there's a lot of names that escape me. Uh, I think it was Ivan Reese did uh something that i really enjoyed with uh his illustrations of batman where he would cast you know his eyes in shadow and just do the tiniest (laughs) pinpoint of light uh not not the whole glowing eye but just a a tiny dot of light for for each eye sometimes only one eye and that makes it look just otherworldly and i think captures that sense of like he's supposed to be terrifying Mm -hmm. to people he's not supposed to come off as like Oh, this is a guy in a bat costume. <laughs> He's supposed to come off as like a force of, of vengeance uh, incarnate. And so uh, I really like that version. You mentioned the 70s uh, version, the, the gray and the and the blue, right? Mm, yeah. Um, I love that. It's sleeker. Uh, it's almost like they drew him as more of a swimmer and less a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's a really great version yep. of that character. Uh, Jim Lee's Batman is uh yes. I, I like jim lee's story uh you know his life story that is um lee's batman is amazing you're right i mean it just is and like i was talking about lee's batman uh with somebody there's so many artists that have worked on the character and many artists i think bring a new flavor or personality to the character but when i think of like what is the standard batman in the comics, mm-hmm. as far as an artist goes, I think personally of Jim Lee's Batman. It just looks like the mathematically perfect Batman. Yeah. As far as visually. Speaking. Yeah. I think a lot of people would say either Lee or Jim Apero, who uh, did some really, really great uh, classic stuff as well. So, yeah, uh, I, w- I, I really love the, the stuff that he did for Hush. Um, I think that he's got a lot of physicality to him. Um, I think I mentioned somewhere uh, somebody had asked, oh, uh, do you think that he should be lean or muscular? And my feeling was is that he should be more muscular because that is scarier. Um, and I think Jim Lee's yeah. got that. Yeah, he looks like a like a brick house when yeah. Jim Lee. Same thing with Capullo's Batman, you know, to mention Capullo one more time. Uh, the thing with Capullo is he's so good at drawing uh, just dirt and grime on everything. Everything just looks dirty and, and, and smelly, like it's covered in mold, mm-hmm. except for Batman's face. He, he can do like this really clean, clean shaven. This is Bruce Wayne. This is like a mask that he puts on mm-hmm. when he's in that suit. It just looks like so detailed. Uh, and his, you know, I think one of the difficult things with uh, drawing Batman is do you go. So you mentioned earlier, you know, like, do you have a lean Batman or do you have a muscular Batman? Uh, 
do you have a Batman that has like a, a cloth suit or do you have a Batman that has an armored suit? Do you have a preference personally? I think he wears whatever makes sense in the situation that he's in. I, I don't, th- th- he has an arsenal. He can wear whatever he right. wants to wear. It's kind of like uh, Iron Man has like a million suits and an armory. I think Batman right, has right. like an entire uh, wardrobe of, okay, this is the suit I'm going to wear when I'm fighting the Joker. This is the suit I'm going to wear, you know, against Poison Ivy or, you know, whatnot. Um, I think it's much like we actually see in the Lego games. He's got all these different suits that have different functions and he just puts whatever on uh, based on whatever he feels his needs are. And it makes perfect sound. That's the that's the best answer, right there. Uh, I w- I would have said something stupid like, uh, you know, I think personally that like, he's got to have something lighter because he's doing all these crazy jumps and acrobatics and th- mm. you know flying around carrying his body weight all the time. Um, that I think once you go too armored, it gets too bulky unless he's using some form of self propulsion. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one reason why I really like Capullo's Batman is it looks like it's armor. And then when you see up close, it's also, you know, a suit. It's mm. not, it's not, you know, layered plate mail or anything like that. No, it's, no, no. He's not, he's not Captain America. He doesn't, he's not Iron Man. He doesn't need that. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, I mean, there might be uh, padding under the bullet that or under the bullet, under the bat symbol, it's going to stop a bullet, but he's not planning to get, you know, mm-hmm. shot. He's not planning to get stabbed. He's planning to blend in. So, uh, Briefly now, as we start to come out of our conversation here and stick the landing, hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, just some broader uh, questions here for you about superheroes and the state of modern comics. Mm-hmm. Earlier, you mentioned that um, you know it sounds like you and I share a lot of similar sentiments about the current state of comics and superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know from what you've mentioned that you currently read comics. Um, Superhero fatigue is a term that gets thrown around now and then. Is that something that you think is is real, either on an anecdotal scale or on a widespread scale? I don't think people are tired of superheroes. I think people are tired of seeing superheroes done badly. Uh, is the Ooh, way that, is I the way that. is the way that I would put it. I think people will still come out if you put out a really great movie and it's a superhero movie. People are going to flock to it if it's. Uh, a characters that people know and love and want to see, they're going to come in and see it. I mean, if, if this if Batman movie uh, turns out to be great, um, it's going to, to do bank busters, and rightfully so, and people are going to talk about how great it is, as they should. Um, the problem is, is that we got a lot of people, um, we got a lot of content. Um, it's very easy to, to basically say, okay, um, you know, this is not for me, this other one is, and uh, there are definitely, I think, movies that we can all say, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily see that, but you know, this other one did the characters justice, and I'm going to go and support that. Um, the, that's the thing with, with superheroes being so prevalent now, is that we're now in a position now where we don't have to watch every single movie or they stop making superhero movies. We can we can stop watching <laughs> one or two, and they'll still make superhero movies. We just have to see to support the ones that are good. And so for me, I think that that's the, the way it goes. I, and I think there's a hunger for good uh, content uh, for adventure stories. I think there absolutely is. I know I want to see like a really good Superman movie. Um, I wish they would yeah. give it to me. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sure eventually we probably will. I don't know how long it'll take, but somebody's going to make one. Um, if they yeah. do, if they do, I'm down for it. And I think, um, I think fans are just tired of, of, of expectations being raised and then having them dashed like Charlie Brown trying to hit the football. Um, I think 
I think once, I think if we get good content and we get, you know, filmmakers that actually care about getting it right and there's an incentive for them to do so, um, and we get back to making good stories, um, you know, in these films, then, you know, people will be there to show up for it and I'll be the first in line. Yeah. So, I mean, a good story is obviously there's a, that's a huge uh, umbrella that covers a lot of things, especially in film. Um, so let's say you're given the opportunity to create a story for DC. Maybe that's a, a you know, screenplay, maybe it's script, maybe it's a, it's a comic uh, script. Um, what kind of story would you want to create for DC? Oh man, I, I'm, I'm always afraid to answer these kinds of questions because in the very unlikely event that I ever work for DC, <laughs> um, I don't, I, I don't want to basically be able to say I can't do it. Um, I right. will say, I will say that there are a couple of ideas that I want to do involving um, one involving Nightwing and one involving Captain Marvel. I would love to do those two. Um, with Captain Marvel, I really want to be able to do the traditional approach that I think a lot of people have been hungering for, and myself included. But um, for me, it's like really been thinking the underlying principles of it in a way that makes sense and is true to the Fawcett lore. Um, I would like to be able to do that. I want to get back to whimsical stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You know, fighting giant robots. I want to get away from Magic Superman. I want to get away from, you know, Billy Batson acting like a jerk. I want him to be Tintin. Um, basically with the powers of the gods is essentially the way that I would, I would envision him. Um, I would like to be able to, I would like to have stories with Dr. Savannah. Um, I would love to have stories with the black Marvels. I would love to be able to do, um, because I think there's, and I would want to do like a Jeff Johns type of retooling um, to the entire Fawcett rogues gallery, because honestly, I think Captain Marvel's got one of the most underrated rogues galleries um, ever. Um, there are so many great ideas and they, and they're just rife to being explored in a way that is respectful uh, while at the same time uh, shining a new light on them. It's just that I just don't feel like DC understands their own property. So um, maybe one day I'll do it with like an analog version just to show you what I would have done. Um, but um, I can't give you the details in the case I either use it either in that form or in the of unlikely course. event I actually work for them. So, but I do. Right, I, I, right, right. Yeah. But uh, I will say as far as Nightwing, I was concerned, I will say world tour, Involving Dick and Damien uh, with Haley Surface and um, involving uh, the League of Assassins and Spiral. And just leave it at that. Let me know when you get to that because I'll read yeah. it, dude. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> definitely let me know. Uh, yeah, I, when you said whimsy, uh, that nails it right there. I, you know, I think that there's a tendency in gaming, there's a tendency in, in, in superhero movies, and there's a tendency in comics to say, well, we're being mature here. So that justifies us reading about kid stuff or playing kid stuff. Yeah. I don't think that video games are kid stuff. I don't think that graphic novels are kid stuff, but I yeah. think that there are people who believe there's still a stigma about superheroes are for kids and video games are for kids. So, well, let's make the darkest possible game imaginable because then that'll prove that, you know, the last of us proves that video games are for adults, but mm. as an art form, it's already demonstrated. Both of those things, all of these, these many different forms of media have demonstrated that they have the emotional maturity required. And there's so many ways to, to render maturity in stories beyond just, you know, it's, it's going to be as bloody and violent 
as as you could possibly imagine. Last night, I just showed my kids uh, The Secret of Nim for the first time. Ah, I love uh, that. I grew up with that movie. Oh, same, same. I love that movie, and it's an excellent movie. It's one that I wanted to wait on because it is a darker story. It is. Um, but I don't think it's grim dark. No. I don't think it's dark for the sake of being dark. I just think it handles a lot of you know, mature ideas and complex ideas in a way that certainly animated film uh, wasn't always doing, especially at the time. I mean, you had Winnie the Pooh comes out and then, oh, what is this? The Secret of Nim? The parents are like, oh, it has talking mouse. I'm sure it'll be that Mickey Mouse. And then they go and see it. And it's like, oh, no, this is very different than something like that. But I mean, all that to say, I think that that demonstrates that there are many instances in which games, film, animation, comic books, graphic novels, if you want to call them that, illustrative literature uh, <laughs> can tell mature stories without being like, hey, look at me. I'm mature and beat its chest. Look at how mature I am. I'm such an adult. There's a kind of transparency mm -hmm. to that, in my opinion. Um, and I think that might be a part of the fatigue. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think there is a lot of that. And I think people are getting a little tired of that when they see that. They can tell that where they're being pandered to and they can tell um, when they're being condescended to and when the people that are doing it just don't understand the genre or um, superheroes in general or anything like that. And then there are times when you just get stuff like the three jokers, which is just like, I mean, could you, could Jeff Johns have tried even ever any harder to be Alan Moore? Um, <laughs> I, I, if you read that, you'll see exactly what I'm trying to do. He would, what I'm saying with this, because he's trying to do the visual storytelling in the exact same way. You know, he's trying to one up killing joke. And I'm just like that. You don't need to do that to make a great comic book. You don't need to try to right. show me how mature you are. I mean, you made uh, all these books for years, just embracing the genre. You had, you did the definitive run on Green Lantern. You did the second most definitive run, maybe third on The Flash, um, on certainly on Aquaman, certainly on these other books. And you did it by embracing what you know other people weren't taking seriously. And you asked, okay, you you pointed out that yeah, this whole business about Aquaman talking to fish is a really stupid thing to point out. He can be a really cool <laughs> character. Why don't you show that instead of, you know, trying to show off how serious and literary you are that, you, you know, that you can do better than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I get that there's there's flexibility. There's room for different interpretations. Yeah. But I think that it does become pandering is a good word to use. It does become transparent at a certain point. I did read three jokers. I thought on uh, at a premise level, that's fascinating. Yes, I did. too. Um, but I don't think that it developed that premise at all. I no. think it didn't really answer questions. It just created <laughs> somebody's going to be mad at me for saying this. It just cemented that I don't like Jason very much. <laughs> no, uh, they did not give you a reason to like Jason in this, in the story. And I will tell you who do who did make me like Jason Todd. And that is uh, Chip Zdarsky in Ur Urban Legends. Um, I think uh -huh. that they they basically um, try to show um, the human side of Jason that we hadn't seen before. And but we don't get it in Three Jokers. With Three Jokers, there were so many interesting ideas. I love what they try to do with Joe Chill. I love the idea of the um, of the criminal. I felt like that was the best version of the Joker of the three of them. And who do they they have as the last survivor? Um, the the Alan Moore Joker. Because, of course, we have to have that version succeed again. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and it's like, uh, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity on so many levels. No, I, I, I think so. And uh, 
it it's like you know alan moore is haunted it seems like by his own popularity yeah uh and so is the industry as well they uh, can't escape the and, shadow of more unfortunately right you can't i mean well you read his work you're like wow yeah. but don't do this in every book but yeah. wow you know yeah. what i mean yeah uh, this it's is like my 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 answer is don't try <laughs> just try to be the best right you. Right, right, right. And same thing uh, if we want to finish talking about film, that's fine. Same thing with uh, with Christopher Nolan. You know, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy is so successful, um, so beloved, uh, so I- immediately iconic that it defined, you know, what DC was going to do for many years to come afterwards. And it seems like until you finally got to, like, you know, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, we're like, okay, now we're kind of getting out of the grounding absolutely everything in reality and mm-hmm. making it as bitter as possible. And then same thing with Marvel, with Iron Man 1 being this you know, mm-hmm. immediate hit. And then you have an entire franchise of quipping heroes and Whedon writing and yep. jokes. Um, so thinking about then... Marvel in film, DC in film, let's be honest, there are more people that watch these movies and get those characters through that Mm -hmm. than there are that that actually read the comic books. And I'm not trying to make a real fans read the comic book statement (laughs) or anything like that. That's just a fact of of reality that that more people consume film as passive entertainment than read these comics and, you know, make that of it as you will. But how do you see DC film continuing? How do you see Marvel film continuing? Um, now, I will say with DC, they're going to continue to do what they're what has worked for them. So um, if uh, the Reeve Batman thing goes uh, well, we're going to see probably more of that. And uh, that would be unfortunate because like you, I really enjoyed the Aquaman, uh, you know, Wonder Woman approach. Now, I will say um, Aquaman 2 may very well be very, very good. Um, I think that James Wan is a great director. Um, I certainly like Jason Momoa's Aquaman. Um, I think that the only, <laughs> my only problem with Aquaman is honestly, there are not very many good villains uh, in that franchise. Right, right, right. That's, that's yeah. my only concern, but I think they the kind of used them all fine. already. Yeah. <laughs> all three of them. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's potential like, so like I'm thinking of the new 52 stuff. Like, I mean, if they want to mm-hmm. start talking about the first King and mm-hmm. things like that, I was delighted to see, you know, the, the ideas of the different underwater realms, I liked just that Aquaman as a superhero movie hmm. was underwater for so long. It yeah. wasn't like, let me save a city over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. It was, let's just go to an entirely different world. And yeah. so I really enjoyed that one. Really enjoyed the first Wonder Woman. Not sure what happened with Wonder Woman 84. Um, yeah, um, the tone was right. The execution was wrong. I'm hoping that um, Patty uh, Jenkins... Um, let somebody yes, else yeah. write us write the script next time. <laughs> That's mainly yeah. my hope. Um, I actually do want to see uh, Linda Carter and Gal Gadot uh, have a team up. They're going to need a, like oh, a really man. big villain that's worthy of them. But I think that 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 team up, awesome. You know, give give me something. Yeah. But you need to improve the script. Right, right, right. It felt like I, I you nailed it. There's so many times tonight where you said it, and I was like, that is succinctly perfect. The tone was wonder woman as far as the, you know, let's have a superhero that, you know, is about compassion about building bridges as, you know, an ambassador. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I want to see her stab somebody. Yeah. Yeah. They did, um, cheat a dirty, um, max Lord. Yeah. I think they, yeah. they got the right casting 
I think they tried to do him right, but it's just um, it's not the bat the Max Lord that anybody would recognize because they're used yeah. to like the the Max Lord that got killed by her. <laughs> um, right, right, right. This is closer to the Giffen uh, Demetrius version from JLI. So, uh, yeah the the ending of it just doesn't stick, and it, yeah, you know, it yeah. felt like it was going on for too long. I felt like as a father that there was an element of Max Lord's portrayal that resonated with me, but yes. there was just not a lot of 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 movie in there that I guess. Yeah. And, and the whole business with the wishes made no sense. Why, why, the, why does it bring Steve Trevor back as a ghost and not as a real boy? <laughs> um, you know, cause that would have, that yeah. would have avoided a very, very problematic element of that movie. Had yeah. That. That's cause the stone is a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. What about the flash? Uh, we're getting a flash movie with Michael Keaton in it. Uh, yeah. More people care about Michael Keaton. Batman is in it than that. The flash is in it. It seems to be <laughs> like this, this Batman guest starring the Flash, and this is and, and unfortunately, it's like okay, I will give the Snyder cut points for improving the Flash in that version. Um, uh-huh. That that is fair. It is still not the Flash from the comics in any way. I think that Ezra no, Miller is a total miscast, unfortunately, and it's not necessarily Miller himself. He's a good actor and other things, but it's just he. Right. It was just it was a miscast, and just the writing on that version from the start was not good and now we're kind of stuck with him so i'm kind of hoping that eventually we get another flash i would like to see like them lead to like a wally west uh version of the flash showing up that's a little bit more comics accurate um but i guess we'll see i mean just call it flashpoint yeah i mean we know that's probably going to be what it is it is the only the only flash story that anybody uh in dc film knows (laughs) right apparently (laughs) Yeah, and, uh, I mean, that would at least kind of explain, you know, are we getting Keaton as Thomas Wayne or is he going to be Bruce Wayne? You know, it would kind of make it, I think, make the inclusion make a little more sense. Yeah. Um, but for now, uh, I don't even know if I could say cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Um, it is what it is. I didn't, you know, there was a time when I was like, yeah, DC film's going to blow this. And then it didn't blow it out of the way. Yeah, uh, I saw Justice League in theater. I was like, "All right, that's it. That's the end." You Whedonized it, and I don't want to see any more of this. Uh, yeah. And then Snyder's cut of Justice League came out, and I watched it three times. And I was like, "What the? This it could not have been a different film yep. Yep. than what hit theaters." Yep. A good film? Ugh. No, it's it's a, it's a mixed bag. Film. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah, because Snyder is a mixed bag, I think. I think so. He's a he's a director of scenes and moments that yes. you remember. Yeah. But not necessarily of uh cohesive and stories with He will do know, the cool from, thing over the sm- over the well written thing. Oh, coolness factor guy all the way. Yeah. All the way. So and then is obviously that's DC. Uh Marvel now. Uh Eternals just came out. I don't know anybody that knows what the Eternals are. I don't even know what the Eternals are. Yeah. And I've been saying this for generations that the movie at a doesn't. certain point, my, <laughs> at a certain point, Marvel's going to have to hit the bottom of the barrel. I don't know if this is it. Yeah. Until they make like a Howard the Duck movie again. But I, I, I think eventually the MC- they're going to run out of characters. Yeah. I think the MCU basically said, okay, we put the closing chapter on this with Endgame. Um, and now I think they're trying to struggle to sort of say what's next. Um, I don't think that they found that coherent, clear answer. I think they're trying to do that. Now, I like a lot of these characters. Don't don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually looking forward to 
to finally seeing Shang-Chi. Um, I love that character. Like, I love the way he is in the comics. I don't know how well the movie got him, but I am curious about it. Um, there were things that I've liked. Um, I like the, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier for the most part. Um, you know, they're, they're, what if I think um, individual episodes were great. Um, the larger the larger narrative arc, I think, fell, on, fell flat on its face because they didn't they didn't keep the mythos uh, or the continuity consistent, you know, things like that. Um, so there's good and there's bad in a lot of what I've seen. Um, Black Widow was a mixed bag as well. With Eternals, I think part of it is um, Chloe Zhao basically saying, yeah, I'm going to use Black, uh, Zack Snyder as the blueprint and not Jack Kirby. Because Jack Kirby should be the blueprint, um, but it's right, not. Jack Kirby. Yeah. yeah. Jack Kirby honestly deserves so much credit for building the Marvel Universe. I mean, mm-hmm. still, and Stan Lee obviously does as well. Stan Lee being a legend. Stan Lee is Stan Lee. But Jack Kirby as well. I mean, they're designing mm-hmm. these characters, designing the look of the universe, being a part of of just the Marvel Universe as well as the DC Universe. Yeah. yeah uh, in yeah. huge ways. Yeah. And, and the Eternals, he made them himself. Uh, Lee wasn't even involved with that. So, you know. I see, I didn't even know that. But yeah, yeah taking yeah. your cues from Jack Kirby would have been the obvious thing to do i would have guessed yeah um i would say with the eternals the thing the main thing to keep in mind is is that you know a lot of it was based on uh, chariots of the gods you know a lot of the uh-huh. um, um unorthodox kind of archaeology that was done in like the 70s at that time um yeah. where you know the idea is okay um the ancient aliens type of stuff um except yeah. except more larger than life with space gods um, if you look yeah. at it in that sense, that's what the Eternals should be. Um, instead, what they basically say, oh, yeah, they're just aliens that happen to resemble gods like the Asgardians and, you know, back on your merry way. And I think that that dilutes the idea. Kirby's concept yeah. should have been intact. It was not. And that's, you know, going back to the over explanation thing, and I guess this is where we can land it. Mm-hmm. Uh Is, again, just respecting the source material, not being ashamed of the whimsy of it. Yeah. Not trying to either over mature it, mm-hmm. uh, maturize it in the case of DC, uh, or and then get it the the comics dark as well, but not trying to lean too heavily on that. And then one thing that has irked me in on the Marvel side is kind of watering down the ideas, I guess, by making them less fantastical. Yeah. And in that sense, so like what you just said, I haven't seen the film. But that really hits home for me as far as what I've seen in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's like, dude, you're making a comic book movie. Just embrace the inherent, sil- not stupidity, but the inherent silliness of the concepts. Embrace the inherent far out ideas sense of, of a guy who was, you're right, a sense of wonder of a guy who was writing crazy stories in the 70s insane stories mm, yes. you don't have to apologize for those you don't have to apologize for superman being able to use super friction or push a planet out of orbit or ridiculous so you don't have to apologize for the silver age stuff just make the thing and make it good first but yeah. i don't think that we need to see watered down versions of you know and like this is one thing going even further back to the the X-Men movies, mm-hmm. you know, where the, their suits were all dark and, uh, you know, and there's even that line from Wolverine early. And I think it was in the first X-Men movie where he's like, what do you want to see? Yellow spandex. I was yeah. like, yeah, yes, I would. Yes, like I, to see I would. That. 
because stop toning down, you know, the, the costumes into these muddy gray and brown things. Just give mm-hmm. us the bright colored costumes. It's what they are. It's what they've been for years. There's mm-hmm. no need to apologize for it. And there's no need to apologize for Lego Batman 3. We no. just did a podcast. I mean, kind of not really on Lego Batman 3. Kind of on the Justice League and superheroes and Marvel and DC. But we don't have to apologize for that either, Steve. Nope. Um, and that's where we're at. Thanks for being on this show, dude. I really appreciate your time. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Um, it's really been a lot of fun discussing all of these things. And uh, I think we probably could talk for hours. Uh, maybe we will again one day. And I would look forward to that. Yeah, I would love to have you back on again. We should talk Superman 64, dude. I'm going to hunt that down and play it. Yeah, I've never <laughs> played that, and I heard it's notoriously bad, but I'm looking forward to one day discussing that. Yeah, we'll have to, I'm sure there's a there's a wealth of games we could talk about. Yeah. Anywho, uh, where can our listeners find you? Well, um, I'm at, uh, at Shadewing on Twitter. Uh, that's really where I do most of my rambling. Um, my uh, more official stuff uh, is at, um, at Revelation Comics. Um, that's kind of where, where I usually uh, promote like my own personal comics, uh, Omen comics type of stuff, and uh, other Revelation books by other people that are not me. Um, the main one that that I do is Blitz, um, and the um, and some of the other ones we do are Insurrection, which is a war comic uh, set in Nigeria. Um, and we're going to eventually, I'm hoping, I am hoping, um, that one of the next ones we get to do is a book called Seder, which is a Viking, uh, horror historical, uh, tragedy, basically, um, set around a king who basically breaks an oath to, uh, a Viking witch and, uh, she goes to get revenge on him. It, it, it is going to be brutal if I know my family. So that's wow. good. Um, and beyond wow. that, um, I also do regular uh, contributions for Comic Crusader. Um, I actually want to review the Final Fantasy V Pixel Remaster for that this weekend. Um, hopefully it'll nice. be there early next week, uh, but I will discuss that one because um, I have a lot to say about it, as I know you do too. Oh, yeah. Really enjoying that one. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, I mean, you know that Steve is the real deal uh, from this conversation. The dude had some really good insights on batman and comics in general so definitely go and check out his work there'll be links in the description below but that's it for this episode bat fans thanks very much for joining us thank you again steve we'll catch you next time see you then thank you for listening my friends i hope to see you back for another episode coming soon with a discussion on metal gear solid 2 sons of liberty until then, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of MageCast. If you're still craving more magic, visit thepixels.com, that's the-pixels.com, and patreon.com forward slash thepixels. You can join our Discord to be a part of the conversation, or find me on Twitter at thewellreadmage, or live streaming at twitch.tv forward slash thewellreadmage. That's thrice a week, plus the odd Thursday night pre-show. Drop a follow, drop a comment, even a retweet goes a long way. This episode may be over, but the legend of the Dark Knight will live on. Passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and the dragons. (laughs) 